It's FAQ NYC Presents, where the only podcast in the only city in the world brings in other voices to dig into what it's all about. I'm Harry Siegel, co-host and executive producer of FAQ NYC, and right now you're going to be hearing part one of Hazard NYC, a four-part limited series looking at New York's four federal Superfund sites. Hazard NYC is hosted by Samantha Maldonado of the City and independent journalist Jordan Gasporé. Hazard NYC was made possible by support from the Fund for Investigative Journalism. The project was produced in partnership with the McGraw Center for Business Journalism at the CUNY Graduate School of Journalism, and it's part of the Pulitzer Center's Connected Coastlines Initiative. For more information, go to pulitzercenter.org forward slash connected hyphen coastlines. Hazard NYC is supported in part by New Lab, a platform helping deep tech startups succeed to address the climate crisis. Learn more at newlab.com. Let's jump right in. I climbed into a small boat that launched from a dock in Greenpoint into Newtown Creek. I'll show you real quick on the map where we're headed here. My guide was Willis Elkins. He's the executive director of Newtown Creek Alliance. He knows the history of these murky waters. The sediment below us is the most contaminated stuff in the creek. And the bright spots. It's also an area where there's like the most like bird, wildlife activity. For nearly four miles, Newtown Creek snakes between North Brooklyn and parts of Queens. From the boat, I saw egrets and cormorants and watched warehouses slide by. I also saw water that reminded me of pickle juice. And then further downstream, it smelled kind of like rotten eggs. I'm Jordan Gosporé, an independent journalist and podcast producer. And I'm Samantha Maldonado, a reporter with The City. We're bringing you Hazard NYC, a mini-series from FAQ NYC. On this episode, we take a journey to Newtown Creek, one of New York City's four Superfund sites. I remember when I was a child coming back from vacation and hitting the Greenpoint Avenue bridge in the car that the smell would literally wake me up. It was like a slap in the face. The smell was so bad that it could make you want to vomit. Laura Hoffman is a lifelong Brooklyn resident. She lives right near Newtown Creek. It's one of the most polluted waterways in the U.S. And as a super fun site, it's on the road to getting cleaner. Newtown Creek is prone to flooding, which threatens to spread pollution beyond the creek and bring more pollution into it. To understand why the creek needs a cleanup, you need to know its history. Almost 200 years ago, the creek's coastline was lined with over 50 oil refineries, sawmills, and factories that produced things like fertilizer and glue, among many other products. But as much as those businesses contributed to the city's economy, they also polluted the creek. For decades, these companies used the waterway as a dumping ground for chemicals and fuels. Human waste entered the water from the city's sewer system starting in the mid-1800s. And now the area is still pretty industrial, but the contamination from those years remains. Oil, metals like lead and copper, and other carcinogenic chemicals have been found in the creek's sediment. The cleanup of the site could take a decade, and the EPA has to finalize its plan first. 
And until that day comes, local residents like Laura will keep pushing for a cleaner waterway. Laura Hoffman, PIA, pain in the ass. <laughs> That's Laura Hoffman, 65, who you heard earlier. She's a born and bred Green Pointer and a self proclaimed agitator. My husband and I are members of practically every organization that begins with the words Newtown Creek. Even her husband's family has lived in the area for generations. We sat with her at her dining room table while her cat tried to join the interview. I'm sorry, that's my cat. (laughs) Sorry about that. Family photos hung on her walls, reminders of Laura's deep roots in the community. I had so many aunts and uncles that came from this area that I could practically map out who died from what and connect them with the area and the toxins that they lived near. When she was a kid, Laura says she didn't need to see the filth on the surface of Newtown Creek to know it was polluted. She could smell it. But many people didn't know the extent of the contamination. As we were growing up, my husband and I both have swam in either the Newtown Creek or the East River, played on the barges. I used to play on the salt piles in the industrial area near where uh, the Department of uh, Sanitation is located now. We went crabbing with our kids. Laura and her husband initially got involved with efforts to clean up Newtown Creek and their neighborhood years ago. That's when they noticed strange odors while their kids were playing softball. We found out that some of the odors that the kids were smelling and things that were happening were because we were located near an oil spill, near a PVC manufacturer, near a sewage sludge tank, near all kinds of industry. Laura was in Greenpoint in 1978 when the U.S. Coast Guard spotted oil flowing into Newtown Creek. They discovered one of the largest oil spills in the country's history. It's estimated that at least 17 million gallons of oil had leaked from an oil refinery and a fuel storage facility. In the early 2000s, a series of lawsuits were brought against ExxonMobil to get the company to pay for the cleanup of the spill. Exxon settled in 2010, the same year the EPA designated Newtown Creek as a Superfund site. Under that program, the EPA would oversee the cleanup and make the polluters pay. In a one-by-one, different polluters have been getting caught and, you know, their feet being held to the fire and, you know, being forced to take responsibility for their actions. The creek is becoming somewhat cleaner, although by somewhat cleaner, you know, I'm, you know, I'm using that real loose because there's a lot, a lot to do to get that creek to be healthy and clean. The EPA is working with a group of companies that bear responsibility for polluting the creek, and the cleanup can't come soon enough. Neighborhoods around Newtown Creek, parts of Greenpoint, East Williamsburg, Masspeth, and Long Island City, for instance, have a 1% chance of experiencing a major flood in any given year. And climate change will make it worse. Here in New York, sea levels are estimated to rise between about a foot and two feet by the 2050s, That's according to the New York City Panel on Climate Change. On top of rising sea levels, climate change will bring more intense and frequent storms. Hurricane Sandy gave us a peek into what climate change has in store for us. During the 2012 storm, Newtown Creek surged past its banks and inflicted flood damage. 
up and down the waterway. I've been there in the days following Sandy, crawling around in basements where Newtown Creek was in people's homes. It was in the streets. You saw the watermarks often with the grit associated with it on the buildings. Gregory O'Mullen is an assistant professor and microbiologist at Queens College. To him, Hurricane Sandy underscores the importance of a cleanup. That waterway will not stay within its bounds. It will not in the climate context that's coming. And therefore, the contamination that is in those environments and the sewage that we put into those environments, often associated with the same events that cause it to breach its banks, those moments we have to be prepared for. And part of that means we cannot accept that there are regions of our city that are so contaminated that we would say, I wouldn't want to touch it because guess what? It comes for you. That's the reality of climate change and our coastal waterways. Paul Pulo knows this all too well. For years, his family ran a heating oil business called Metro Fuel. It sat on the south bank of Newtown Creek in Greenpoint. He sold the business about a decade ago, but not before Sandy hit. We had about four feet of water in the offices. We were prepared for probably two feet of water. We had four. So everything we did, it went over uh, all, the, all the preparations that we made. Never expected it to go that high. Paul says they had installed barriers around the building to prevent damage. This wasn't the first flood we had. So over the years, being there, we knew some of the things we should do. After the storm ended, Paul says he remembers there was some nasty stuff inside his facility that he had to clean up. There was some residue on some of the dike walls from floating oil, but there was no contamination that we found. Paul may not have found any contamination, but the EPA did. After Sandy, the agency sampled the flood water. They found chemicals, but they were at such low levels, there wasn't any cause for concern. It was very, very low, in, in many cases, negligible or non-detect levels of the chemical contamination that is what's driving the Superfund cleanup remedies. That's Walter Mugden. He's a former deputy regional administrator for the EPA. What we did find is bacteria that are associated with sewage. So it wasn't good to have in people's homes, but it wasn't the chemical stuff that's in the bottom of these waterways. In general, the EPA said it's mostly focused on long-term exposure to chemicals. Contamination spread after a flood may not pose that kind of harm. Here's John Prince. He oversees the EPA's Superfund program in the New York region. We wouldn't expect and exposure like sediments that might get deposited after a storm to pose that kind of a risk. Another thing to consider, without proper protection, the businesses themselves could contribute to the pollution of the creek when there's a flood. That's what happened after Sandy. Around the creek... All these trucks got totally flooded, and it's like there's oil and other fluids leaking out of those trucks. That's Willis Elkins again. He's the one who took me on the boat tour at the top of the episode. For weeks after Sandy, the creek was a rainbow of chemicals. He remembers this and worries that the contamination from the land around the creek will get into the water and ultimately mess up the efforts to clean the creek. You know, we're concerned about a remedy that doesn't fully address all those and that for years to come, we still have ongoing sources of pollution that put the ecology and put the community at risk. The EPA is studying how the groundwater and the pollutants may be moving around and will incorporate the results into its cleanup plan. The agency may have to work with private property owners to address any movement of contaminants from areas around the creek. That's because the EPA's purview includes only the creek itself. 
not the land around it. There's a world outside of Superfund. Here's Stephanie Vaughn, an EPA project manager for Newtown Creek. We're going to do as much as we can through Superfund and then try to work with the other entities to facilitate, encourage, increased improvement, invest management practices so that the overall health of the creek can improve over time. The city's Hazard NYC podcast is supported in part by Brooklyn Solar Works, a solar design and installation firm dedicated to helping homes and buildings in New York City reduce their energy costs and their carbon footprints. Want to know if your home or building is right for solar? Schedule a free consultation by visiting brooklynsolarworks.com or by calling 347-712-3915. The actual plan for the creek's remediation is hotly anticipated. Lots of people who care about Newtown Creek are pretty frustrated by how long the process is taking. Willis Elkins blames the back and forth between the EPA and the parties that the agency identified as responsible for the creek's pollution. Those parties include the city of New York, plus five industrial corporations, ExxonMobil, National Grid, Phelps Dodge Refining Corporation, BP, and Texaco. That's David Hari, principal of the consulting firm Anchor QEA. He was hired by those five companies to do the technical work at Newtown Creek. Together, those companies are known as the Newtown Creek Group, or NCG. Other parties have been identified by EPA and the NCG, but they're not currently participating in any of the studies being done. David says the EPA makes the calls during the process. It has taken a long time. Schedule is controlled by EPA. They decide what they want to do and when they want to do it, and we develop work plans and go implement the work. Some in the community are skeptical. We want to have full faith in EPA that they are driving the show, and that we're going to get a thorough, proper remediation in a timely manner. In the meantime, there's been lots of sampling, data collection, and technical work being done by the EPA and David and his staff. Part of what the EPA is trying to figure out is which contaminants present at the site pose an unacceptable risk to human health and the environment. Here's Stephanie from the EPA again. Those include total PCBs, polychlorinated biphenyls, total PAHs, hydrocarbons, and um, dioxins and furans. Let's break that down. Newtown Creek's toxic cocktail is made up of mainly human-made industrial chemicals that could cause cancer. Long-term exposure to these chemicals could cause organ damage, rashes, and cataracts. The creek is also polluted with dangerous heavy metals, including lead and copper. The exposure to the hazardous substances in the creek It would be primarily through ingestion of fish and crabs from the creek. People do go fishing in the creek. And despite signs warning against eating what they catch, it's assumed some people still do. From an ecological perspective, we also have the biggest risks are to those little critters that live in the creek. Some of those contaminants come from past and current industrial uses. Other pollution is from the sewer. That's why the city of New York is implicated. Here's Rit Agarwala, the commissioner of the New York City Department of Environmental Protection. Part of DEP's responsibility is to come up with a plan to reduce the combined sewer overflows into Newtown Creek. Rit is talking about what happens when raw sewage is unleashed into the creek. In most of the city, the sewer system's pipes carry both water from rain and the water that comes from toilets, showers, and laundry. And when it rains, the system gets overwhelmed. 
Instead of getting to the treatment plant, this mix of water and waste pours into water bodies like Newtown Creek. That's a combined sewer overflow, a CSO. So when you flush during rainy days, whatever's in your toilet has a good chance of ending up in the water. But that's where there's been some real movement in recent years. The city made upgrades to a wastewater treatment plant at Newtown Creek. You can see the plant from afar because of its eight giant metal eggs that digest wastewater. That's where millions of gallons of the city's sewage goes to get processed. That's resulted in a lot of improvements to water quality, specifically in the lower two miles closest to the East River. And that has meant more return of marine wildlife. But the city has to do more to reduce the poop in Newtown Creek. The main way this will happen is through a new, massive underground tunnel. The tunnel will hold the wastewater during a storm that causes the sewers to reach capacity. And when the storm ends, what got captured will go to the treatment plant. Think about what we are talking about. 39 million gallon tunnel around and across the creek. It's a $2.5 billion project. When the tunnel is complete, it will significantly decrease the sewage entering the creek. But it won't get it down to zero. Still, the EPA determined that's okay. But some in the community, like Willis, worry about how an effect of climate change could put some of that progress at risk. We're facing increasing rainfall, so we're concerned that the pace going forward for reduction of CSO is not going to be as strong as was originally planned. Remember, raw sewage spills into the creek when it rains a lot. But officials say the tunnel will be effective even with more rain. The most harmful CSO events are actually the ones where you have a relatively light rainfall, but we have very little storage capacity, and therefore you're actually dumping what is a relatively high concentration of sewage into the water. The way this will work is the new tunnel will capture the nastiest stuff first. It's called the first flush. Again, Walter Mugden, formerly of the EPA. So whatever water is in, whatever sewage in in the sewage pipes, sewage from people's toilets and showers and dishwashers and everything else, whatever's in the pipes when the rain starts is the most concentrated amount of sewage, right? The more it rains, the more dilute it becomes. The rest of the rain, along with the sewage, will still enter the creek, but... It's less and it's cleaner than what's going into the creek today. The tunnel won't be done until 2040. Cleaning up the water is one thing, but removing the contaminated soil on the bottom of the creek is a separate consideration. One way the EPA can do it is to dredge the sediment. That means scooping out the contaminated soil. Another way is capping, which is covering up the contaminated sediment. There are pros and cons to each strategy in terms of costs, how long it will take, the impacts to the environment, and how effective they are at keeping the pollution at bay. Here's John Prince again from the EPA. This is a very old waterway in a highly urban environment, and it's reasonable for us to assume that remedies are not going to reach some sort of a pristine, clean level through dredging. John says that even if the team was to dredge many feet down, a cap would probably still be needed. We still need to put a cap on to cover whatever's down there. Whatever the new bottom of the creek is, probably likely to still have some level of contamination. And caps face problems too. Caps can be disturbed by turbulence in the water. The EPA said they would take into account creek conditions like tide, flooding, boats traveling through, and runoff in devising a long-lasting cap. 
our other expectation is we're not just going to build it and walk away. We're going to build it and then expect it to be monitored. That's for whatever route they end up taking. In the meantime, the EPA and the group of responsible companies are also working on an early plan to tackle one part of the creek, the East Branch. That's a tributary of the creek that reaches out to Masspeth and East Williamsburg. Here's Stephanie from the EPA. This will allow work to start on that portion of the creek while the remedy for the rest of the site is being developed. Everything is still being worked out among the companies and the EPA, and they must present any proposals they come up with to the community for feedback. And that's important. It's the community who are the ones who live and play and work around the creek, in spite of how gross it can be. There are birders who appreciate finding peace along the water, even with the sounds of the highway in the background. Students learn along the banks and see tiny fish swimming in the water. And although Newtown Creek is no longer the economic powerhouse it once was, it is still an active commercial zone. All kinds of businesses operate along the water. Beverage distributors, restaurant supply companies, furniture makers, and more. You know, one thing that we're really interested in is like, how the creek can be an example of both an industrial space that also has significant ecological function and community access and benefit. Willis and others who care about Newtown Creek see a future for it that's not so different from how it's used now. They just want it cleaner and healthier. We're not just doing this for like the residents that live in the surrounding areas or for tourists. It's for also the people that are working here every day that they should deserve to be able to work in a place that doesn't have legacy contamination. That's the ideal outcome for Laura Hoffman. She lives just a few blocks away from the creek. Laura remembers the first time she saw the creek by boat about two decades ago. We went to like the most polluted parts and we saw like all this black muck on top and the odor just hit us in the face. And I remember that I got teary-eyed, I got angry. Because it's like being in the belly of the beast. I can't even explain it. When you've gone through all of these environmental disorders and, you know, medical issues, it's just so powerful being there that I just started crying. And I'll never forget it. And I carry that with me when I go to different meetings. She's seen lots of things around the creek change for the better over the years even as the progress to fully clean up the creek seems so slow. But knowing that people take to the water gives her hope that the area will improve even more. I know a lot of people think that they're crazy for going on the creek in the kayaks and stuff, but they're like, you know, frontiersmen, and they're forcing the agencies to look at the quality and the standards for the creek just for the simple fact that they're there and using the creek in that way. This has been episode one of Hazard NYC, a special four-part limited series from FAQ NYC. The show is written and hosted by Samantha Maldonado and me, Jordan Gospore, the creator and editor of the show. Our engineers are Adam Kamara and Mark Bush, who also did our sound design. Music for the show was composed by Nick Pennington. Artwork by Matthew Fleming. Come back tomorrow to hear episode two.
FAQNYC is part of the city, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc give if you'd like to pitch in. I'm Harry Siegel, FAQNYC's executive producer. The pod also receives support from PNT Knitwear, an independent bookstore, cafe, and event space on Manhattan's Lower East Side with a podcast studio that can be freely reserved for community use. The pod's a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists and is affiliated with the Colin Powell School at CUNY City College, where co-host Christina Greer is one of the Moynihan Public Scholars Inaugural Fellows.